Support for this podcast and the following message come from Internet Essentials from Comcast. Connecting more than 6 million low-income people to low-cost, high-speed Internet at home. So students are ready for homework, class, graduation, and more. Now they're ready for anything. You're connected to the All Songs Considered Plus One podcast. I'm Bob Boylan. Here's something I find remarkable. There are only three professionally made recordings of the Beatles in concert. Yeah, there are bootleg recordings that don't sound so good. There's a single mic recording from their days performing in Hamburg in the 1960s. But that's it. The three recordings we have are all done at the Hollywood Bowl. One performance from August 1964 and the other two from August of 1965. And they were all recorded on three-track analog tape. That's it, three tracks. During the Beatles' existence in the 1960s, those recordings were never released. Then, seven or so years after the Beatles broke up, 11 years after they stopped touring in 1966, Capitol Records decided to take those Hollywood Bowl tapes and release an album of the best stuff. Beatles producer George Martin oversaw the project, and the result was an album called The Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl. The record sounded okay, but not even Capitol Records thought it was good enough to issue on CD when that format came around. Well, now almost 40 years later, the original tapes have been uncovered. New technologies have made it possible to make those recordings, recordings formerly buried in the sound of screaming fans, make them come to life. This time around, producer Giles Martin, the son of Beatles producer, the late George Martin, has used new technology to bring more clarity, more presence, and reduce the overall roar of the crowd. It's pretty exciting. To understand the story of the tapes and the technical magic that was done, I called up Giles Martin at Abbey Road Studios in London. He starts by explaining just what it meant to play stadiums and other large venues in 1964, because it had never happened that way before. It's hard to think now about the technology that they had then and how unprepared the world was for the onslaught of rock and roll. Really, the Beatles were the first stadium band. You know, when they went to Shea Stadium, they played in Shea Stadium, and Vox built them special amplifiers, which are 100-watt amplifiers, because they thought that would be able to cut it in Shea Stadium. They performed club gigs, and then they took those club gigs and went and played stadiums. And no one thought about the sound. No one thought about uh, the band being able to hear themselves. It's completely unrelated to a band going on tour now. I mean, the Beatles only had two or three roadies for the whole of their career. Um, If you think about a road crew that follows Coldplay around now, it's it's vast. I mean, you have lighting guys, sound guys, video projection guys. Um, And yet the Beatles are playing to 55,000 people. It's so alien to the world now. and it was deeply frustrating for them then, actually, um, because they could hear themselves. Yeah, the, the thing that we that we call monitor speakers, you call foldbacks, speakers are pointed at the band so they could hear what the other players were playing uh, in any environment. But this was an environment where there were, in some cases, 50,000 in Hollywood Bowl, maybe 17,000 people who were mostly not listening but screaming. I mean, well, you could do both at the same time, but one tends to drown out the other. And, and so they couldn't hear themselves. And it's remarkable how well these performances are given that right it's one of those things that if you if you play an instrument it makes sense if you play an instrument with earplugs in it's completely alien to you if you play an instrument if you imagine singing and and singing to microphones in front of 15,000 people would be nerve-wracking singing, singing in microphones in front of 15,000 people with earplugs in not being able to hear yourself sing 
would to most people would be, I mean, most artists would be completely, you know, crazy. But, the, the, you know, you have to understand that, and it's funny, the Beatles were such a huge live band. And and someone asked me the other day, so with, with, what, do, what, did I think they were a good live band? And I went, well, listen to their records, because their first three or four albums are them playing live anyway. You know, it's not as though, you know, in fact, I, I remember remixing Come Together, which is much later on, which is on Abbey Road. And I played it to Paul, and he said to me, God, I remember how good we were this day and we were playing live, you know, come together as a live recording, wow. you know, so they could really cut it live. And it's just muscle memory. It's the same as anything else. You know, we all did, we all do different things and we all, everyone's good at something. They just had to be very good at playing their instruments and they just had muscle memory so they could sing and play without being able to hear themselves. And that's what the Hollywood Bowl is. So the, it, for another perspective for people is back in 63, 4, 5 and Beatles were making two and three albums uh, a year. They were doing a film. They were touring uh, all over the world. And um, it just astonishes me to, to hear what I hear. So, and, and one of the, the remarkable things is back then, one of the things that bands would do back then would they put out live albums. And so when the Beatles came to America, I think the idea was they were going to record them at Carnegie Hall and it was a union issue and they thought, well, six months from now, whatever, we're going to be playing out in the Hollywood Bowl. Let's record those shows. What did, what's the prep to do that? What's the technology back then? Nowadays, we would you know, have minimally 48 tracks. We'd have more tracks on the cymbals than all that was recorded on these recordings. Well, so, I mean, Hollywood Bowl is the only as the only recording of the Beatles playing live that's sort of done professionally. Um, and the funny thing is I use professionally in a sort of broad sweeping strokes, not to do disservice to the engineers, but it was almost an afterthought by Capital. And it was done, it was done a three track. So, which means that to mix it, we have drums and bass on one track, vocals on another track, and guitars on a third track, with all with screams <laughs> mostly on all three tracks so you put them together you get you get the sort of wall of screams the recording technology was was, was it wasn't primitive funny enough in america at the time compared to the uk where you were you were you guys were way ahead of us my dad actually got sent out to go and fi find out it was interesting how find out how americans were so loud there's the uh, very english way of putting it uh -huh. because your records sounded better than the english records huh. I mean, america was ahead of us at the time so your dad so went we, out to the Hollywood Bowl shows, or no, no, he went out before. He was out, He he got sent by EMI out to uh, Capitol Studios in the fifties to research how we could make the UK could make as good a records as America ah. at the time. Um, and he went to the Come Fly With Me sessions. You know, it's, a, it's one of those moments in history. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Um, and he sat in on the Come Fly With Me just by coincidence. My father was there and watched them record Frank Sinatra and then came back to Abbey Road with his report on how to steal ideas from America. That's what, that's what we do best. Um, so with the Beatles three tracks, they weren't really recorded by my father or recorded by anyone through the Beatles. It was just a, a setup that was arranged by Capitol. I mean, someone thought it'd be a good idea to record the Beatles, and I think it was a great idea. And their performances were great. It's a pity there's not more of them. So the Beatles came to America in successive years, and in 64 and 65, they played the Hollywood Bowl. And there were two, correct me if I'm wrong, two shows then in 1964 that were recorded, and one show in 65, or is the other way around yeah i think i think I, it's, it's one way or the other i can never remember but okay. yeah there are i think there are 264 shows and 165 show um i'm not sure if they played four shows and one wasn't recorded um certainly one of the recordings of the three shows we have recorded the one of the microphones isn't working properly paul's microphone isn't on properly for the recorded part so yeah, it's it's amazing how 
in the history of the Beatles playing live, that's the only proper, you know, actual official recording of them. And so your dad was asked by Capitol a, a long while ago to put out these records. This is now, uh, are we going to say 40 years ago, roughly 1977, outcome, seven years after the Beatles had broken up, out comes the first sort of official record of the Hollywood Bowl. He worked with the three track tapes, put it out. It sounded pretty remarkable considering the circumstances. But then what happened? We have this new collection coming out. What is different about these tapes? And let's walk through it a little bit. Are these different, completely different tapes, or are they? What, what's going on here? It's a combination of a combination of a number of things. My 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 father was. I remember, you know, I was seven when my dad was working on Hollywood Bowl, and it was it wasn't a labor of love. It was something that the capital were going to put out anyway, and he thought he better oversee it, mm-hmm. and was never happy with it being. Um, we know the technology they had to play with then wasn't as good as we have now. Um, and that's why it was only ever released on vinyl, never released, re-released on CD, for instance. Mm-hmm. A while back, Capital contacted me. They said they found some other tapes. I'm, I'm based here at Abbey Road Studios. Um, and they sent them over. And not all of them, but some of them sounded better than what we had. Alongside that, there was a, a guy who actually was, works in IT here who's developing demix technology. So, you know, being able to take one track and be able to separate it into its, its, its constituent parts. I've been playing around with him with this for a while, and I just said, why don't we try it on screams, on crowd for Hollywood Bowl? <laughs> and we tried it. And what you end up with is on, on it splits one track into two tracks. So what you get is screams on one on on one half, and then you have this kind of weird kind of almost the band playing, but it sounds a little bit strange on the other. And then we made sure when we put them back together, they sounded exactly the same. We phase cancelled them when we do lots of a bunch of testing, but this meant that we could go into the for instance the drum track and bring out the best of the drums, opposed to with what my father had, he he could just. You know, if he did the drums, he'd be doing it to the screams as well. If that makes sense to your yeah, listeners. Yeah. So we could, so we basically could clean up the recordings. And it's always my ambition, as it would be for my father's, to to make people feel as though they're they're watching the band. Now, what you have now with Holly Bowl, and I think I think you're going to play some tracks to show this, is that you have a much. Uh, you're much closer to the band. You know, you feel as though there's not a, a layer of recording on top, if that makes sense. We're not compressing as much. And so you can, the idea is to be as visceral as possible. And I really wanted, wanted to achieve something where you felt like you were in the audience listening to the Beatles. So let's listen to, this is a, a bit of the 1977 recording. How about if I do uh, She Loves You? I guess the main thing to listen to when I'm about to go to this next version uh, would be listen to the pound of the drums, right, and and, and the bottom. Yeah, end. so it's, so so to me, quite often this sounds this sounds it's it's them playing live, but it's it's almost uh, like an answer phone recording where you, it's very compressed and uh, and the bands sound uh, distant. Um, and so if you listen to the new mix, you're, you you should feel as though um, it's a lot more live and you can hear Ringo better. Okay, so here's the uh, new uh, and So if I'm going to quickly flip back to the other just for a second, just to uh, help. There we go. You know you should be glad. 
Have, have the, uh, Ringo or Paul heard these? Or yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're my bosses, and, I, uh, uh, and, and my job is to, uh, to, to seek their approval at all times. I mean, no, but to really to, to try and, I mean, joking aside, they have to be happy. It's their music. It's their legacy. You know, um, it's, it's not my legacy. My, I, you know, I'm lucky enough to have my father was George Martin, who was a lovely man and a great man. But it's really, it's their music. It's important that they're happy. And so, of course, they've heard these and, and they were delighted with what we've done. You know, Paul says it's like peeling back a layer. You're getting close to the band. That's a huge compliment because that's what we're trying to do here. And Ringo's happy because you can hear his kick drum. You can hear his snare drum. And Ringo, you know, we just done this film eight days a week This with Ron Howard. And you watch Ringo and he really hits the kit. You know, he's like Dave Grohl at Washington. <laughs> Here's a puzzle, something that, that baffles me. How are tapes sitting in a vault somewhere that are the Beatles that get uncovered in this day and age? I mean, paint that picture. Where are they? And how does someone find something that you would think have been scoured over and over again? That's actually a, that's that's actually a very good question because you because because you 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 you, you ask that question and my immediate thought is like wait a second then he's making this up he didn't find any tapes <laughs> he's just uh, and so, you know I think wait a second maybe I maybe I'm cheap maybe I'm actually fooling myself but it's true it's it's here's the thing is if you imagine how much okay. You know, if you're a listener and you and you have a bunch of photographs and you take them on your computer and you think about where are all my photographs and you don't actually know where they are, imagine the history of recorded music and how things get lost. And they do. And it's only when people do audits and stuff like that that people that things appear. Now, Hollywood Bowl is one of those forgotten about. I used I use a bit of Hollywood Bowl. I worked on the Love. We created this, this show called Love out in Las Vegas right, with Cirque and, and and I used Hollywood Bowl for, a bit of Hollywood Bowl for that. So I went to Hollywood Bowl tapes then. It was really when Capital were going through their archive, and they went, "Oh, wait a second, these tapes should probably." They probably knew they had them, but they said that these tapes should probably be at Abbey Road because they're Beatles tapes, and that's where we keep Beatles mm-hmm. tapes. You know, I've been to the EMI archive here in in England, which is in Hayes, and it's a bit. It reminds me a little bit of you know that scene from Indiana Jones where they put the have to put the ark somewhere, mm-hmm. and they want to hide us. They put it in a warehouse which is full of similar boxes. That's what archives are like, wow. and so it's not until you go to these places. I mean, you're talking about you know football fields full of tapes. Yeah. That you, it makes sense. And and to be honest with you, the other thing that happens that that people don't realize is the people unearth tapes all the time. And it's, again, it's the Holy Grail, and, and you listen to them, and they sound terrible. So it's, there's a counter thing to this as well. I get people, you know, come to see me at the studios, go, "We have found the ultimate recording of this Beatles song," and it sounds awful. So the rare thing is, you're absolutely right. The rare thing is someone finding a tape, and the even rarer thing is it's actually worth using. And to help me clarify, the tapes that your dad got that he worked on, I mean, there were only three track tapes recorded. So what is the difference? Were they 
duplicates? I don't, I'm confused by that. One tape machine goes in, records three tracks, there's the tape. How are there two different kinds of tapes and new songs found? So, well, new songs were always there. Okay. They always had just the, not yeah, released. They, so, yeah, so they weren't released. So, what the funny thing what happened is I basically did Hollywood Bowl as a test from the new tapes, just out of you know I, I have license to play around with stuff, mm-hmm. and and due to this actually due to this mix this demix technology, I thought okay, what would this be like for screams? And and it's you know one of the things that I'm my father's son, and 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 I get the privilege of working on Beatles stuff, and one of the things they're into is breaking new new ground in technology, and mm-hmm. so this was new technology we're developing. Let's try it in Hollywood Bowl. We've got these new tapes. It was one of those things. But we, so we tried it for the whole of Hollywood, all three concerts. And then I put together the best songs I thought were from the concerts. And most of those were the same as my dad chose, plus an extra four, which I think we could make sound better because of the te- technology we had. Um, but I didn't actually, because I'm so useless, I didn't actually look at the original album at the time. I sort of never do. I sort of, I don't know, it's just, I'm just lazy, if you like. <laughs> and then they have to be the same choices. Um, right. so it didn't I, clarify, I, though, for me, the, were there different ta- You say new tapes, and that's the word that's confusing Oh, me. okay, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So I think that one set of tapes, probably the ones we have at Abbey Road, more than likely are, are copies of the original tapes. I understand. So therefore, what we have is uh, is a copy of a copy, as we all know from history, is never as good as the original. Right, especially analog world. Uh, especially analog. So, so that's what we have. And then there's a there's a number of different artifacts in here as well, where which varies from tape to tape. You can have a copy of a copy, but that tape may be kept in better condition than the previous tape. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. So. Sure. You know, it, it's, there's lots of variables. And you just do it by listening. You listen to tapes and go, well, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's a scientific as going, well, that doesn't, one doesn't sound very good or that one sounds good. And then you work on that one. And when your dad t- had to find a three-track machine, um, my understanding was that that machine would overheat and uh, <laughs> could destroy the tapes if they didn't cool Yeah, so it that down. was, you know, it, here's the thing. It's, it's because, you know, in a funny way, we, we look back more now than, we, than he did in 1977. And so we have better archiving. The interesting thing about this, which people don't realize, is that analog tapes, we're very fortunate with the Beatles that all of their tapes, which are kept at Abbey Road, are in incredibly good condition. But you can get a band from the 80s, and their tapes are completely destroyed through time. Uh, the Beatles just happened to record onto very, very good tape. And, uh, you know, even I was in a band that was pretty terrible. I went to go and transfer my tapes to a computer the other day, and, not, and not, none of them worked. <laughs> Um, you know, so it's probably, that's probably a benefit to mankind. But but there was a, there, but so there's a number of different factors involved in this work. It's archaeology mixed with high technology is what it is. Um, but the whole key, the end result, has to be fun for the listener. Thank you so much. I know you have to run. Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk yeah, to you. You'd be well. Thanks for doing this. No, you're very All welcome. Of this. You're very welcome. <laughs> All of this. All of this. Oh, listen. I, I listen. I just hope people and you know, I hope people enjoy the the, the album as much as we have working on it. And and I think it's just surprising because. You know, people know the Beatles, but they don't think of them as a live band. And they, they were a really, they were a great live band. It's just that they achieved so much. They did Sgt. Peppers, which is one of the, you know, yeah. the Rolling Stone voted the greatest album of all time. So they're, them being such a great live band has been forgotten. Hopefully Hollywood Bowl will make people listen, just have fun and put a smile on people's faces. That's the reason why we do it. It did that to me when I turned it on this morning. I hope, you're right. I hope it does for everybody. Cheers. Okay, thanks, Bob. Thanks, now. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye. Producer Giles Martin, the new record, The Beatles Live at the Hollywood Bowl, comes out September 9th. You can hear a song on our website. I'm Bob Boylan for NPR Music. It's all songs considered. Well, we're
Thanks for listening. Check out all of NPR's podcasts at npr.org slash podcasts, including eight of the country's top 20 podcasts, according to PodTrack's podcast metrics. That's npr.org slash podcasts.